You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Hey guys, happy Monday. Um, this is Keaton Mio. You may know my name based on my famous husband, or maybe you've seen me with all my three kids at church, Um, but I'm excited to talk to you guys this morning about Psalm 22, but first I wanted to share a little bit about Psalm 23, Um, because right around this time last year is when Charlie invited us to memorize Psalm 23. And I remember it actually pretty vividly because I was super pregnant at the time and would lay down in the dark and recite Psalm 23 with my kids. I remember the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And their cute little voices squeaking that back to me. And even um, on some of my more tired nights, laying in my bed and hearing the voices of my kids and Charlie together saying the prayer as I drifted off to sleep. And what's amazing is I didn't know that several months later, later when I gave birth to Henry, that that memorized psalm would be an incredible anchor for me. Um, So we gave birth to Henry in October, or I guess I gave birth, and um, the the day after he was born, I remember the pediatrician coming into the room to do their little check and look him over, and he did it for a really long time. And so I felt the heat rush to my cheeks um, as I began to get nervous and my heart began to race, wondering why this man was taking such a long time with my new precious baby. And I made eye contact with uh, Charlie and just felt this deafening silence. And after a couple minutes, he abruptly asked, did you guys do prenatal testing? And I think I barely whispered a no. Um, And he continued that he was going to test him for a couple chromosomal disorders because they thought he might have Down syndrome. So later that day, there was chaos. And later that day, Henry was discovered to have an intestinal blockage and several holes in his heart. And he was flown in a helicopter to Phoenix Children's Hospital. And as I watched them put his cute little tiny body and his cute little bonnet into the helicopter, The words, even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, came to mind. And it was pretty incredible to me that the words that I had memorized for the last half of my pregnancy were shaping my thoughts and tethering them and holding them captive in one of just one of the darkest or craziest weeks or seasons of my life. Like in that moment, it felt like my life was spiraling out of control, but I could hold on to the story. I could hold on to that psalm, those words. I could think about Jesus being my shepherd as I would later rock that baby in the NICU. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today, the idea of story or tethering ourselves to the story. So we're going to go back one psalm to Psalm 22. And um, this one is probably pretty familiar to you guys. Um, It is the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And um, I feel like this is a strong one to pick, but I feel like it's been really incredible to process as I process my own grief in a hard season. So those words were uttered by Jesus as he hung on the cross 
experiencing separation from the Father. And in Jewish tradition, the Psalms were often referenced by their first line. So when he's proclaiming those first couple words, he's inviting his listeners to, to, to think about the whole Psalm in their minds. So let me read the first beginning nine verses. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. The psalmist here, which is believed to be David, um, is finding no answer from God. You can hear him crying out, but not being answered. All he's hearing is silence. And he's questioning. He's, he's like, why Israel trusted in you and you saved them? But what about me? And he's being mocked by others for trusting in the Lord. I really love how Eugene Peterson's The Message translates this. I'm going to read that too, especially verse 3 through 5. It reads, And you, are you indifferent above it all, leaning back on the cushions of Israel's praise? We know you were there for our parents. They cried for your help, and you gave it. They trusted and lived a good life. And I loved, I loved this translation because I love that he used the word indifference. It reminded me of, um, I don't know how many of you guys had to read Eli Wiesel's Night in Junior High. Um, it's a book by a Holocaust survivor, but he has famously said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And I feel like I felt that, that whole indifference when I felt silence in the midst of grief. That's how it felt to me in the beginning. Do you even care that I'm here, God, that I'm in this spot? Because it felt silent. It felt like God was indifferent. So days later, as I sat with Henry at Phoenix Children's in the NICU, I wept, mainly in the car, not with all the nurses around, although I definitely did that a couple of times. Um, but it felt... So I felt so much rage and grief combined because um, the two years earlier were filled with Clark, our oldest hospitalizations. He was hospitalized twice for asthma. And I swore I would never step foot in that hospital again because of how much anxiety and overwhelm I had felt in that season. And then it culminated in the pandemic and there was so much medical anxiety I felt. Um, and especially being raised in a semi-hypochondriac family, it felt like really just the spot of everything could go wrong for me was having my children suffer medically. And I had just navigated that for two years. And then bam, my next baby is right back in that same hospital. Um, I remember a lot at night sobbing to Charlie. 
And um, the only way I could really describe it to him is it felt like God had like shoved me in the dirt on the ground. And then once Henry was added to the picture of all that suffering, it felt like he was just like pivoting on the back of my neck. And maybe that's like kind of an intense picture. Um, But it really felt like if I had to say what my worst case scenarios were, like God was rubbing right against them. And that he wasn't answering my prayers. He wasn't saving me from what I wanted to be delivered most from. I was just right back in that same spot. So it truly felt like he was indifferent. And I remember on the thousandth night of me crying in a row, Charlie quoted uh, John 21, 18 to me. And he said, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But you, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And I remember those words sitting with me and feeling so true that God was truly leading me where I did not want to go. Anywhere but there, and that's where he was leading me. So let's look back to uh, verse 9 through 21, where the psalmist back is, uh, or the psalmist is also describing his suffering. So he said, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. So you get this beautiful petitioning by David, the psalmist, asking God for all of these things. And um, when I was in my grief, or when, when Henry was in the hospital, I didn't quite have words like this. Um, I honestly had no words. Mostly because I think... Um, I was really shocked or maybe surprised is the right word. I I felt like surprised that I was chosen to be the one who would suffer. And maybe that sounds weird or I don't really know how to describe it, but glow, growing up to me, it was suffering was what other people experienced. I grew up with a great family um, and it just wasn't something that I really thought would ever happen to me. Like I would never grow up to have, I would never expect to grow up to have a child with a disability. I would never grow up to expect to have two of my 
my sons to be hospitalized multiple times. Um, I didn't really just expect it to be my story. It was, that's the stuff that happens to other people. And I especially didn't think that suffering was something central to um, being a follower of Jesus or even central to the human experience. Um, But I believe that is a really significant lack of discipleship because I, I think we all, we need to be teaching followers of Jesus that suffering isn't something that finds the unlucky few, but it it will deeply and impact and shape all believers. So if you're listening, as ominous as this, as this sounds, if suffering hasn't found you yet, it will someday, especially as you follow Christ. And perhaps that's maybe what this next generation needs to hear, that suffering is expected. I don't know, but I feel like in my discipleship, suffering wasn't really something that was ever really talked about. Um, and if it was, it was always overcome. And so why can a good story, or in this case, the true story, be that anchor in times of grief? And kind of the point I want to drive home is because that um, the true story can remind us that grief is only in the middle or that it is the middle. It's not um, the end of the story. It's the middle of the story. So if we think about grief being the middle, it changes our thoughts about God and especially about who he is. Um, God isn't indifferent if it's in the middle of a story. He just may not have answered yet. But the silence between the petition and the answer can feel deafening or almost something like you can't you can't even hold it but i believe that it's a space that needs to be shared more in the church and in our discipleship journeys and what i mean by that i it's a something that i think that we should talk about more share it with others invite others into our grief so and the reason i say this is because after i had henry i felt so changed, I guess, that I felt like I was no longer capable of engaging in like surface level relationships or friendships that didn't have suffering as a part of them. And the only way I could really describe this to others was, um, I don't know who is listening, who likes Harry Potter. I hope most of you will understand this reference. Um, but it's in, I don't remember which book, maybe the fourth. Um, but Harry Potter is going to Hogwarts and he's getting off the train and there's all these carriages waiting to take the students to uh, the school. And he notices that the carriages are being pulled by these kind of freaky looking horses with wings. Um, But then none of his friends around him can see them. So he thinks he's going crazy. But then another sweet student walks up. Her name's Luna Lovegood. And she steps forward and says, it's all right, you're not going mad or anything. I can see them too. So that's kind of what it felt like when I experienced grief that like, where's the loot of love goods around me that can also see them or that have also experienced deep grief Um, because those creatures could only be seen by those who had experienced grief firsthand. And the reason that Luna and Harry could both see them is they both experienced or watched someone die when they were really young. And so that was kind of my analogy in my head for the space I felt after I had Henry. And um, I feel like when 
grief disorients us from the world. When we're in like this middle spot and we feel like God is silent or we're just in anguish. Um, as I've said, we need to tether ourselves to the story, but I think we also need to be reminded that grief is shared and should be shared. It, and um, it's an integral part, I think, of the Christian journey. And in the to go back to Harry Potter, in that part, time in the story, only Luna and Harry could see the horses. But by the end of the seventh book, because there's so much grief by the end of that book, I think every single student would have been able to see them. So grief shouldn't shouldn't surprise us as Christians and we should expect it. Just like the words that Charlie spoke to me that he, Jesus will lead us to where we don't wanna go. So it's expected that we should experience grief in our life. So let's go back to the Psalm and see what happens when um, he's he receives an answer. So the Psalm, continues starting with verse 22 I will declare your name to my people in the assembly I will praise you you who fear the Lord praise him all you descendants of Jacob honor him revere him all you descendants of Israel for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast in worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel, kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So in, in David's life or in this psalm, we don't really know how much time has passed between verse 22 to or verse 21 to verse 22, but we see that God has answered him. And so maybe for some of you guys who are listening today, you feel like you're in this spot where you feel like God has truly answered you in a rich way. And you feel like in awe of what God has done and you're in a space to praise him. But maybe some of you are kind of with me here in this middle spot where you're hoping Maybe you're hoping and begging for deliverance. Maybe you've cried so much that you're kind of in that silent space of waiting. Or maybe it looks different. I don't know what grieving looks like to you, but I'm with you in that grief. And I would think a lot of us are. Or maybe for a couple of you, you haven't experienced deep grief yet. And instead, I would implore you if you're there um, to begin the process of tethering your heart to the true story so that when your grief comes, as it will, you don't falter. You know the truth and your heart is tethered to it. For me, if I don't orient my heart to believe my grief is in the middle, um, and instead I put Henry's, just all the grief that's surrounding his birth, there's so many parts that have brought me grief. If I put them as the end of the story, then I feel like I, that's a really terrible 
<laughs> like a few, two, uh, a really bleak future. Um, my, my, I guess my story would end with shock, despair, silence, anguish. But if I remind myself of the true story and look to the future with trust in God's goodness and his good character, then I'm in the middle with hope. I get to look at Henry um, as a gift, his diagnosis as a gift. He is a gift. And I get to celebrate all the gifts that he gives me that I wouldn't have otherwise, which are too numerous to even count. He is such a joy to us. Um, and I guess I think the important nuance here is even in the middle, if I experience more grief, which may come, hopefully not too soon right now, <laughs> um, but that they won't, the coming grief won't feel like just another piece of evidence at God's displeasure or more evidence towards my life being awful, but instead it's just a sign that I am in the middle and that space is okay to sit in and I can have hope because I know the end of the story and I'm waiting for the end of the story. So I think a powerful quote I have about this middle spot is from an author and theologian. She has her master's from Oxford. Her name is Sarah Clarkson. She says, I think the stories we tell about our deepest grief will shape the whole of our lives. We all have them because we're all going to be grieved sooner or later, but oh, they need to be good stories. Stories that put grief in its proper place, not as our beginning or end, but the riotous middle that may indeed be brought to peace that someday will be healed. I love that, that we all need to put grief in its proper place, which is the middle. So I hope that as you guys continue our July Sabbath, that you'd give yourself some space to think about your grief or what's grieving you or what has grieved you. Um, and think of ways that you can put that grief into the middle and not the end of your story. And that you, in doing that, that you'd have hope for the coming kingdom and hope for the grief that you've experienced. And another verse I've held on to in this season of grief that hopefully will encourage some of you as I close is uh, Lamentations 3, 31 through 33. It says, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. I love that, that he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. He is a good God and he can be trusted. So thanks for listening to a bit of my story. And I'm praying for all of you that in grief you'll find hope. And I can't wait to see you all back in August.